This morning we're going to be thinking about the blessing or the benediction. Depends you know, what church you've grown up in, but the words we hear at the end of a service, and you may have heard them called the benediction, as you do here. Some churches refer to it as the blessing. Um, so benediction, it's a Latin word. It means good word. You can think about it, benny, like a benefit, and diction, like speech, right? It's a good word. The benediction is a good word. And the opposite of a benediction is a malediction or a bad word. Uh, this really kind of came to light in, in my life a long time ago, but in 2011, Martin Scorsese made a children's movie called Hugo, and in that movie, one of the central characters, anytime something bad happened to him, like he got hurt, he would actually say the word malediction, uh, a bad word. So he would say malediction. And, and that really contrasts the idea of a benediction. And I, I think all of us really grow up wanting to hear a good word, and a, a benediction, a blessing from our fathers, don't we? We grow up longing to hear them say, I love you. And I'm proud of you. Now, some of you here this morning grew up in homes where you heard those words often. And it was a blessing to hear them. On the other hand, you may have grown up in a home where you heard more often than not a malediction from your father. And that has left scars on your heart. It was hard growing up in that environment. I grew up somewhere in the middle. My family's roots are northern European. And often expressions of affection were not a regular part of our family life. We were more like the stoic Norwegian in the joke about the Norwegian who on his 50th anniversary, his wife said to him, how come you never tell me that you love me? And his reply was, I told you I loved you on the day we got married. And if it ever changes, I'll let you know. Right? So that's, it's not an absence of love, right? But, but. It, there's not a lot of verbal or physical expression of love. So that I kind of grew up in the middle. But here's the point. Our longing to hear a benediction from our fathers here on earth is really just a reflection of our need to hear a good word from our Father in heaven. And that is precisely what we have in the reading this morning from the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 through 27. So... I know we've been standing and sitting, but I'm going to ask you to stand out of respect for the speaker who, for the, this is the Lord speaking. I'm the reader. This is God's word. You can open your Bible or follow along in the worship folder. Number six, verses 22 through 27. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons saying, thus shall you, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. This is the reading of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, because this, this is very familiar passage to us, we tend to overlook just how surprising it actually is. Because based on the actions of both Aaron and of Israel, I really would have expected the Lord to pronounce a malediction on them at this point in their history. But he doesn't. Instead, he offers them 
words of blessing. So let's explore that a little bit so we can understand just how amazing this is. Let's consider first Aaron, and then we'll consider Israel. And then after that, let's explore why these words are exactly what we need to hear this morning. So we'll think about Aaron first, and then Israel, and then why these are the words that we need to hear this morning. Right, this begins with the Lord telling Moses, right, speak to Aaron and his sons. The Lord is calling out Aaron as the person who's going to pronounce this blessing over the Israelites. And the fact that the Lord has called Aaron to do it is simply remarkable. You might remember that Aaron was the brother of Moses. And when Moses was called by God to confront Pharaoh and demand the release of the Israelites from slavery, you remember Moses did not immediately say yes, did he? Instead, he responded with a number of reasons why he couldn't do it. And chief among them was his speech impediment. He said to the Lord, Lord, I'm slow of speech. And do you remember how the Lord then responded to Moses, right? Essentially, he said, no problem, Moses. I'll, I'm going to appoint your brother Aaron to be your press secretary. You just tell Aaron what to say. He'll speak it on your behalf. And if you think about that for a moment, that was really an instant promotion for Aaron, wasn't it? Right? Because overnight, he was transformed from being a slave to being a person of influence. From being a slave to becoming this person of influence, which, of course, made him a bit of an easy target as well. I'm just going to make a sidebar comment here. I love the fact that the Lord didn't disqualify Moses because he was slow of speech and tongue, but that instead he made an accommodation for him so that he could serve. And being involved in disability ministry, I think that's just a beautiful picture of what we can do in our churches uh, to support our friends who are impacted by disability. But getting back to the, the setting for all of this story, in Exodus 16, we read that it was really just 40, it was 45 days after the people of Israel had been set free from Egypt. They began to grumble, right, against Moses and against Aaron. And then a few weeks after that, the Israelites were at the foot of Mount Sinai, where the Lord graciously made a covenant with them. And that covenant contained promises and it contained stipulations or obligations, right? The promise was that the Lord said this. He said, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make you a holy nation, my treasured possession. The obligations on the people were simply to obey the commandments that we know as the Ten Commandments. And as you read through the text, the Israelites accepted those terms and they, rep they replied, we're told wholeheartedly, we will do everything the Lord has said. And then, after that, Moses went up on Mount Sinai to get further instruction. He was gone from the people for 40 days. And in his absence, the people came to Aaron, and they demanded that he make them an idol to worship. And Aaron agreed. Aaron agreed to that. Now, we're not told in the text why Aaron agreed to their demands. I imagine it had something to do with wanting their approval, right? With wanting to stay in that leadership role that he found himself. Wanting to continue to be a person of influence. Wanting to continue to have some power. And I think we can all relate to that, can't we? Don't we, don't we all value approval from other people? Don't we want people to like us? I don't think anybody in this room specifically wants people to dislike you, right? We all want people to like us. We, want, we value their approval. And if you've ever been in a position where you just get a modicum of power, 
it, it can be rather intoxicating, can't it? We like it, we're, and then we don't want to give it up when we have it. And we see that played out you know, on the, the world stage and in politics all the time. Those things become idols of our own heart. So I think in a way we can understand a little bit of why Aaron did what he did. But it was in rereading all the details of this event that I realized just how absolutely wishy-washy Aaron was. I want to um, just jump back for a minute with you and think about the command that the Lord gave and then what Aaron did and what he said. So I'm just going to read, from, you know, in Exodus 20, we have the Ten Commandments. In Exodus 20, verse 4, the Lord gives this command. He says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And he goes on from there. Very clear, right? You should not make a carved image. And then as we read through the text about what happened, uh, we read in Exodus 32 that the, that the people came to Aaron. They, they asked him to make an idol. He told them to give them all the gold, their rings of gold that were in their ears and so forth. He took off the rings. And this is what we read in Exodus 32, verse 4. This the he here is Aaron. And he, Aaron, received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. It's very clear, the command of the Lord, don't make a graven image. It's very clear, Aaron took the gold and he himself crafted the idol. He did it, right? That's what the text tells us. So Moses confronts him about this and we read a little bit later, in Exodus 32, 24, Moses is confronting him. Why did you do this? I'm going to read Exodus 32, 24. Aaron's reply to Moses. So I said to them, let anyone who uh, have gold take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. Did, did you get that? Yeah, right? What, what is he... What's he implying there, right? I mean, he's saying, yeah, you're right, Moses. It's true. They, they asked for an idol. I collected the gold. I put it in the fire, and poof, this sculpture of a calf just appeared. What's the implication? Aaron's implying that there was somehow some kind of magic involved here, something supernatural, right? He's, de he's denying all culpability, or most of it, right? I didn't fashion it. I put the gold in, and poof, out came this calf. And this is the guy, that's the guy that the Lord chose to pronounce blessing on his people. I find that absolutely remarkable. It's not what you would expect, is it? At that point in time, at any point, but specifically here, there was nothing, nothing that Aaron could possibly have done to make himself right with God, is there? Nothing. But in the very words of the blessing that we read, Aaron was assured that God would forgive him and bless him. That God would forgive him and bless him. And as Kathy and I were talking about it, we both realized, you know, this, this whole scene of God choosing Aaron to pronounce the blessing was really a, an, an advance echo of our Lord Jesus Christ when he when he sees Peter after the resurrection and he restores Peter to ministry after Peter's threefold denial of him, right? This is an advance echo of that. The, 
the Lord calling out Aaron to pronounce the blessing. And not only that, but it proves, friends, that God is the God of messed up people like me and like you, like we confess together in our corporate confession this morning. So let's take a look at the words of the blessing itself. There are two main features in the actual blessing. First, God is telling the Israelites and Aaron, I delight in you. I love you. Right? The Lord was promising Aaron that he would show him grace. The Lord be gracious to you. That he would forgive him of his sin and rebellion. And then rather than turning away from Aaron in anger, that's, that's a motif you see in the Old Testament. When God is angry, often he turns his face away. So rather than turning away in anger, the Lord's going to turn his face towards Aaron and he's going to smile at him. At Aaron, poof, the magic calf man, right? The, the Lord's going to turn his face toward him. Why? Because he's forgiven him. He's been gracious towards him. So God's telling the Israelites and Aaron, I delight in you and I love you. And the second main feature that, that, that is in the words of the benediction is that the Lord is promising to keep, to keep Aaron and the Israelites. Really what he's saying there is he's going to watch over them. He's going to guard them with the end result being shalom, or peace, the fullness of life. I think it's easy for us to read peace and think an absence of conflict, but the Old Testament understanding of peace and that word shalom is so much richer. It really is fullness of life with the Lord. And that's what he's promising them. And we know that God always keeps his promises. So after his major screw-up, Aaron needed the blessing because there was no amount of self-talk that he could do that would erase what he'd done. There was no amount of resume padding that he could do to make himself right with God. He needed God's grace. He received it. So that's Aaron. Let's think briefly about the Israelites then because they needed his blessing as well, didn't they? Because they're the ones who came to Aaron and asked him to make an idol. And in doing that, they were really just hearkening back to everything they had seen and, and knew of in Egypt. Where when you make a physical idol, what you're really trying to do is manipulate God. That's part of Egyptian worship. That if you make this idol, you can then worship it in particular ways to manipulate God, to extract from God what you want from God. They were trying to extract blessing for themselves through what they were doing. So, they needed God's blessing as well. So they're trying to manipulate God, but they were also a bit like petulant children, right, who tell their parents something like, I hate you, I want a different mom and dad, and then they run away. Because they were running away from God, running to Egyptian worship. And here, and this reveals my heart, I would have expected the Lord to say, go ahead, I hope that works out for you. Right? They, they really deserved a malediction. They deserved a covenant curse because they had broken the terms of the covenant. They deserved malediction and not a benediction. And obviously they needed forgiveness. They needed to know that the Lord looked on them with favor. But they also needed to know that he would guard and keep them. Why? Because in, as we read through the, the account in the Old Testament, they were about to set out from the foot of the mountain and head to the land that the Lord had promised them, Right? And who, who were they? They're just a group of, a ragtag group of slaves. They weren't a well-armed or well-equipped or well-trained army. 
And yet they were going to go up against fortified cities and nations that had well-equipped and well-trained armies. So they needed to know. They needed to know that the Lord was going to bring them home, right, to the home that he had promised them. And that's exactly what they, the Lord is giving to them in this blessing. Did you notice as we read it that, that in receiving the blessing, they received God's name as well? God put his name on them. That was verse 27. In, in giving this benediction, God said, So shall they put my name upon uh, the people of Israel, and I will bless them. Think about that. Isn't that amazing, right? God put his name on the Israelites. When you go to school, when you go to school, uh, you put your name on your stuff, right? You put your name on your backpack or whatever it might be. Why do you do that? Why do we put our name on our stuff like that, right? In a, in a way, it sort of protects our stuff so that no one else can take it. Or if it's lost, hopefully it can be found and returned. I like to play disc golf. I lose a lot of discs. I put my name and phone number on my discs so that hopefully if I lose them, someone will find them and call me and I'll get it back. I haven't yet had one returned, but, you know, hope springs eternal. Um, but why? Because it's, imp it's important to me. I, I hope it would come back to me. But the point is that if something is valuable to us, we often put our name and contact information on it. And here, God is putting his name on the Israelites because they were the objects of his affection. They were the objects of his affection. I want you to think about the opposite of that. Like, what is it like when someone is not the object of your affection? Think about the times when you're embarrassed to be with somebody. Or when someone's embarrassed to be with you. That's a difficult situation. It's not a nice feeling. But this blessing made it clear that God was not embarrassed by the Israelites. He was actually proud to say that they were his. Not because they had lived virtuous lives. But because he had made them lovely. He had made them lovely. Right? They didn't earn this blessing. The Lord gave it to them. We read four times that the Lord is the one who will do the blessing. Right? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. He's the one doing the blessing. And because they knew that they were loved by God, that they were part of his family, they could be confident that he was going to bring them home. They could know for sure he would bring them home. Well, all this begs the question, how could God forgive them? How could God forgive Aaron? How could God forgive the Israelites? Well, we'd need a whole another sermon, probably a whole series of Sunday school classes to really flesh it out in detail. But the short version is this. We know that the whole sacrificial system that God was establishing with the Israelites at this time was all pointing ahead to Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us. We know that Jesus was unblessed so that they would be blessed. That's how the Lord could forgive them. So what does this, all this ancient history have to do with us? I, I would put it this way. I would say these words are beautiful, they're amazing, and they're exactly what we need to hear this morning, aren't they? It's true, isn't it? So often we find ourselves, like the Israelites, trying to conjure up blessing from our own efforts, 
try to conjure up blessing from our own efforts. We prayed it this morning in our corporate prayer. There was a trend in social media, I don't know, what, maybe a year and a half, two years ago? I'm, you know, I've lost track of time with, with, as we all have sort of with COVID. We're like, how long ago was that? But, but it wasn't that long ago. There was that hash, the trend to put hashtag blessed on everything, uh, on your Instagram posts. It, and it's a, it's a prime example. I raise it because it's a really prime example of a mindset of trying to bless ourselves. Because where did those posts usually come, right? It was like, just went on an amazing trip to Hawaii, hashtag blessed. Just bought my f- first BMW, hashtag blessed, right? Just had an amazing meal, hashtag blessed, right? It's, it's the conjuring up, trying to acquire blessing on our own is the point, right? And it's all circumstantial. But like Aaron and like the Israelites, friends, you and I, we, we're messed up people. And we know deep down, we just, we can't, we cannot be as virtuous as we want to be, right? And we're certainly not as virtuous as we know we ought to be. I'm sure Aaron wanted to be faithful to the calling he had been given, but he wasn't. And we read how he sort of just explained it away to Moses, right? He he rationalized away his sin, and we do the same thing all the time. What's the point again of all this? The point is we cannot bless ourselves. Blessing has to come from outside of ourselves. Now, I do need to be cautious here and just say it's true that we are called to bless others. Scripture calls us to do that. We are to bless other people. And that means that other people have the ability to bless us. Right? They can assure us of their love. They can show kindness to us, speak a good word to us. And I, I certainly don't want to diminish the importance or the significance of that. But it's also true that all of those blessings are conditional. And they're driven by circumstance. And ultimately, they're tempered by death. We, friends, we need to know that the eternal creator of the universe, that the Lord himself looks on us with a smile, that he loves us, that he's not ashamed of us, and that he's going to bring us home. And in Jesus, in Jesus, we receive this blessing. Because again, he was unblessed so that we can be blessed. You know, on the cross, Jesus became sin for us, for you, for me. And we read that while he was on the cross, God the Father turned away from the Son. He turned away from Jesus, right? That's when Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He turned his face away from the Son. Why? Why did Jesus experience that? So that you and I will never, ever have to experience being God forsaken. When we, when you and I put our faith in Christ as the one who stood in our place, we have peace with God. That's what Paul said in Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So like, and like he did with the Israelites, God puts his name on us. He puts his name on us in baptism, right? When we are baptized, we're baptized into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And he assures us that we're adopted into his family, that we're his children, that he loves us. He tells us that we're his children and that he's proud of us. He tells us that he's not ashamed. Hebrews 2.11 tells us he's not ashamed of us. And God has also promised to bring us home, hasn't he? Not to a plot of land in the Middle East, but instead to what that land 
what Israel was pointing to, the heavens. And so we read this familiar promise of Jesus in John 14, verses 2 and 3. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. He's going to bring us home. So friends, no matter what the circumstances of your life are this morning, if you are trusting in Christ as the one who alone can make you right with God, who alone can secure God's blessing for you, then you can be sure that he loves you and that he will bring you home. And that's good news, isn't it? That's really good news. Our desire to have our earthly fathers bless us is good. It's a good thing and it's real. But our dads, even the best dads, can't live up to the weight of our expectations, can they? Even if they tell us over and over that they love us and they're proud of us, it's never going to be enough. Their blessing can't make us right with our Heavenly Father, but Jesus can. So I know some of you, but I don't know all of you here this morning. If you're here this morning and you're not trusting in Jesus, if you don't look to Jesus as the one who alone can secure God's blessing for you, I want to encourage you this morning to make this the day. Put your trust, your faith in Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, the one who alone can take away your sins. He paid for it on the cross. The one who alone can present you righteous and blameless before the Lord because his perfect obedience is yours. Trust in him today. You know, like Aaron and the Israelites, we all look to false gods for blessing, and we all need grace. But out of his amazing love for us, Jesus was unblessed so that we can receive God's blessing and his shalom. And those those are the words that we long to hear, aren't they? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you this morning for drawing our attention to your word from the book of Numbers. This familiar blessing, words we tend to, we can have a tendency to, to overlook. They've become familiar to us. But thank you, Lord, for the beauty, the power of the blessing that you give to us in Christ that you love us, that you forgive us, that you're not ashamed of us, you put your name on us, and that you will bring us home, that where you are, we will also be. None of this is anything we've done. It's because of anything we've done. We can't. We we can't earn it. We don't deserve it. But in your grace, you've given it to us. And so, Lord, we thank you. And this morning, we would ask that as we, uh, when we leave here this morning, we would leave here in, in full assurance of your love for us in Christ and that that would animate us, that it would motivate us, and that the things that we do and say would be pleasing in your sight and would serve the purpose of making Jesus famous. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.